This episode is brought to you by our incredible community of listener supporters on Patreon. Our Patreon offers listeners exclusive archival content, extended episodes, and access to community conversations diving deeper with past guests. Your monthly pledge ensures that For the Wild has the funding to keep producing informative, thoughtful, and rooted conversations and programming. All funding supports our small team of creatives, podcast production, and special For the Wild projects like our zines and slow study courses. To support us on Patreon, please visit patreon.com slash for the wild, or if you would rather make a one-time donation or recurring donation outside of Patreon, please visit for the wild.world slash donate. The silence is broken by somebody crying, trying to be heard, never a word. Always the attitude, sort out your own, always alone, wishing for something the world is denying. Out in the wilderness, somebody's crying. Somebody wishing for something to happen, wishing to tell. Wishing to help Someone was listening Someone who cared Never despaired Someone to lean on And someone to trust Who needs your assistance And finds your disgust Hello and welcome to For the Wild Podcast. I'm Ayana Young. Today we will be speaking with Teresa Tubles in collaboration with the Unity Concert that's held in the Black Hills of South Dakota. All donations made to the For the Wild podcast between now and the event, which will be through September 8th, will go directly towards the Unity Concert. Teresa Tubles is an attorney, prosecutor, and politician in the United States and the Ogallala Sioux Tribe. In 2004, she was elected as Democratic member of the South Dakota Senate, representing the 27th District. She was also the first American Indian woman to be elected to the state legislature. She served until 2008. That year, Tubles was also elected as president of the Ogallala Sioux Tribe of the Pine Ridge Reservation, the second woman to serve in this position. She is also a respected elder and organizer for the Unity Concert. Hello, Teresa. Hello. Thank you for joining us today. We are truly honored. I'd like to begin by just expressing my gratitude and respect for you and for the great land base that has evolved under the loving care of your people over many thousands of years. Thank you. And also my sorrow and camaraderie before the fact that nearly all of that land has been stolen and damaged, just as the culture and language of the Lakota was met by that death urge of the colonists. So thank you for your courage and service of resistance, and I'm greatly looking forward to hearing from you about the challenges that you've risen to overcome and how you came to this path, and also what do you see as 
a viable way to take back the sacred black hills of your people once and for all? Uh, I just came involved when I started working for Mario Gonzalez, the, the travel attorney, when he was doing a, a lawsuit. And that's when my interest grew for, you know, the history of the Black Hills and uh, the court battle and how we were treated, how our land was taken away, um, how we were colonized. We couldn't practice our sacred ceremonies or even uh, go to our sacred sites to pray. And um, it kind of made me feel bad. And so I, I took it a step further when I became involved in tribal government where I was in positions where I could work with others to make a difference, to change that. To, But first of all, we had to educate our own people because of the colonization, um, the generation that came forward. Uh, we lost a lot of that history, a lot of our uh, traditions, uh, the, the meaning of our culture and our traditions, our, our sacred ceremonies, even uh, other ceremonies, right? Like they talk about throwing the ball and uh, what girls do when they become women, what uh, boys do when they become men. All of that education has kind of been put in the back of our, our minds and, and because of the colonization. And so today, you know, a lot of the, there's a lot of our people that learned all of this through our ancestors, or through our grandparents, and but really never spoke of about all of this, but now they're bringing everything out. And and I really applaud them and, and thank them for having all this knowledge about our history and our culture and our traditions to bring up forward now because this younger generation is really eager to learn. They want to know who they are, where they came from. And, you know, we always say that because of the trauma of the boarding school days, all of that history was kind of put on hold in the back of people's minds and they weren't allowed to talk about it or to practice so that it just carried on throughout the years and so now coming to our generation we realize that you know the battle of the wounded knee there's other battles the big horn battle um, you know there's there's more battles than what is put down in the white man's history that our people know about our, our nation the great Sioux nation knows about and so we're hoping that all this comes out now so we could start educating our our younger generation and, and our younger children to be proud of who they are and where they come from and and be proud of being a Lakota. And that's where I've stepped in uh, working with Loretta Cook and different people to educate our people. You know, we grew up, we watched a movie, we were cheering for the cowboys instead of the Indians. You know, that's how colonized we became. And I myself was guilty of that. I was cheering for the Cowboys, you know, when I was in grade school and watching movies and stuff. But as I got older, you know, we're, we're just as equal as them. We have history, and we need to bring our history forward. But good history. Our, our people were really kind, compassionate, loving people. And our ways were... Awesome. They were, they were, um, they kept everybody together. We talk about the circle in our history that everything happens in a circle. And 
in everything we do, we remember that circle. In our daily lives, you're born, you go around that circle, and then you, you pass on to the spirit world. But within that time, they teach us to live our traditions, live our culture, uh, don't live the colonized life. And a lot of people are saying, a lot of, today a lot of them are saying, how do we decolonize ourselves? How do we go back to what our ancestors have brought us this far with? And I really want to stress and express my gratitude to one of our uh, knowledgeable elderly men, Johnson Holy Rock. Uh, you know, he was our tribal president. Um, uh, his family were survivors of the Wounded Knee Battle, Wounded Knee Massacre, and, and he really had a lot of knowledge and uh, experience. He was a little boy when he, that happened, and uh, he told us that we talk about going back to the old ways. You know, that's impossible. We can't go back to living in teepees and uh, hunting the buffalo because the government already took the buffalo away from us. But we can educate each other, our families and our relatives and our nation on how they live back there in harmony and in peace and helping each other and, and not this hate and jealousy and what's going on today where we fight among each other and among ourselves. And that isn't the Lakota way. And I wish you could have heard a lot of the stuff that he said that really made sense and made me to be proud of who I am. あ、ワノクサライチアティアサンガナヘラ。イクピマガナカ。オチャケ、あ、タナケ、イナワカ、チワヘタワケハ。ハケラ、ヘミエロ。エハケ、イナマユハロ。オヘ、アテワナ、
third to the youngest of nine children, and my older siblings talked and understood, and then the middle ones understood, and us younger ones, we didn't. I wished I would have learned how to understand and to speak the language, but we we didn't have that opportunity. My mother was working for the government. She was a cook. My father was working for the government. He worked for the Bureau of Utilities here in Pine Ridge. And so they were working parents, and we went to school every day, and our language, our culture wasn't taught in the school those days back then when I was a young child. So being married to a fluent Lakota speaker, uh, he really helped me to where I could understand but not to speak the language. And we fear that once we lose the language, we're no more. But today, they do have a Lakota language in, in our schools, but it's one or two hours a week. And so uh, being in the uh, position as vice president of a Gwalasu tribe and the president, I've always encouraged the elderly and the older adults to teach your children the language because that's what has to be learned is at home. Yes, we have the schools that offer it, but it has to be continuous, repetitive, in order for our children and us as adults to learn our language. So a lot has been changed from back when our ancestors to today, but we still have knowledge of our traditions and our culture. We still have our language. Sometimes I wish we could be like the Navajo tribe where all our members can speak their language every one of their members, because that's all they talk, and they all know it. And there was a time when we were like that, but now I I don't think there's that many full bloods either. I think we don't have that many, but we're trying. We're trying to revive everything and, and bring everything back, and the only way to do that is to work together, to collaborate with each other, and, and come up with a, a way to bring our culture and traditions back to light here. Um, it, it's really hard. Uh, I worked with Loretta and uh, Leonard Littlefinger and Richard Broken Nose, all the elderly men, the treaty council. You know, I had the opportunity to sit in these meetings regarding the treaties. Um, I was told it was a supreme law of the land. It's in the U.S. Constitution. It's never been repealed. It's there. And being in those positions, I also, when I went to Washington, D.C., I would remind Congress about that, that it's still the supreme law of the land. Uh, You need to respect us and work with us as a nation to nation uh, because of the Constitution, and we're willing to work with anybody and everybody. Let's work on the same ground of helping each other instead of, um, you know, cutting our funding to all our programs, our education, our health care, uh, our land. Because of the treaties, we get these federal dollars, but every year they go down and they cut and cut. And Today, we have never gotten 100% funding from the federal government on these programs. And um, that makes me feel sad, especially working here today in the health care field. Uh, Seeing that a lot of our people are, are suffering and are dying from diabetes, cancer, a heart, you know, just because there's no money available. There's just little enough money, but not enough to help our people to have better health care. We're trying the best we can, but it also has to go back to the federal government. 
I've expressed my concern on the billions of dollars they give to the foreign countries, and I know they have money at the end of the year, surplus money. You know, why can't they give that to the tribes across the United States and Alaska to help instead of keeping us down, you know, under their thumb? You know, where is their compassion? Where is their, um, in our language, you say, helping each other and being there for each other and putting aside the jealousy and the hatred. Because we all live on this earth. We live on Uchimaka, all of us. And if anything ever happens to her, we're all going to be gone. Nobody's going to be here. And that's the way I try to tell people, you know, we're going to be here. We have to work with the state of South Dakota. I think we're one of the few states where we don't even have a good relationship with the state of South Dakota. You know, we're always having to fight with them and try to talk to them and tell them we have to work together. I had to even explain to our people, the Lakota people, that we have to work with them. No matter what, you know, we have to work with them. We have to come to an understanding on how we can help each other. You know, no, none of this, I'm better than you. Uh, you know, I control the money. Why can't we all control the money and help each other instead of giving piecemeal just to address our education and our health care? Uh, I really feel bad about our, our sacred sites also. We have a lot of sacred sites, but we have to pay to go in to go to these sacred sites where a long time ago, you know, our people just traveled, went to these sacred sites, camped. Did the ceremonies there. We're always thankful to to the Creator for having these sacred sites and the meaning of them. And and we know the meaning of these sacred sites. We know why they're there. But yet the federal government looks at them as money-making places, and they want to take away everything from us. It's not working. You know, uh, being in tribal government and looking at the outside world instead of just being on the reservation and being able to look outside the big window and seeing what's going on out there, it makes me feel bad. At this time, I cry when we hear how our people are being mistreated. Uh, We have uh, knowledgeable children that need a better education that can make something of themselves. And we have scientists, we have lawyers, we have doctors, people with good education and, and good careers. They want to come back to the reservations and help our people. But when they do come back to the reservation, the, the money isn't there. They, they have their heart and their mind to come back and help our people. But it's really hard when we're held out because of the funding, because of the programs. Uh, this is what I, what I see and what I've been experiencing. And so working with Loretta and them again, I, I we, we try to bring programs and work with other organizations outside of tribal government, outside of the federal government. In fact, internationally, there's a lot of uh, people out there that want to help us and support us in, in getting our Black Hills back, our sacred Black Hills back. I really thank them for that, that you know, bringing the awareness. And that's part of why the Unity Concert was developed was to um, bring everybody to one place to the sacred black hills 
uh, you know, have this concert to talk about and sing about Ujimaka, our, our ways, our traditions, and let the people know internationally and nationally that we are, we are a nation and we need to work with each other and other nations in order to survive here on, on Ujimaka. Our ways are really beautiful. You know, we've got a lot of other people that participate in our ceremonies, uh, our dances. And I know some of them that practice our ways and are at peace with themselves. And that really makes me feel good because they look at me as a person, knowing that they could talk to me and I can talk to them and there's no barriers there. There's no racism there. Um, they just see me as a person and I see them as a person and we can get along and we can talk and that needs to be clear across the board with everybody. Um, this Unity concert has opened a lot of eyes to the outside people uh, knowing that we're here, we're willing to work with everybody we want to make life better for not only ourselves and our future generations, but for all mankind. That's how it was in the past, and it could be that way today. If we just put our heads together and came up with solutions and how we can make this big, big change. You know, I'm not just blaming, I'm not blaming just the federal government, but we as ourselves as a nation. Uh, the Great Sioux Nation, you know, we have different bands. Uh, we need to all work together and learn how to get along and to help each other. Uh, when I was tribal chairperson, we have the Great Plains Tribal Chairman's Association, which I was chairwoman of. And I talked to the other chair chairman and, and chairwoman, and I told them, I said, you know, we need to start looking at not what the federal government wants, where they put the money in a pot and then they make, make the tribes fight over that dollars. And that's what turns each tribe against each other. I said, we could have that money put in a pot. We could have one tribe, maybe the next time help another tribe. I know we all have needs. We all have wants. But if we could just help each other get back on our feet and, and work together, we could become a stronger nation. I mean, you know, these are just my personal thoughts and, and, and ideas and what I've been going through. And, uh, you know, at one time I was uh, even a state senator and there's really a lack of communication even in the state of South Dakota in the Senate. It was, um, it was really an experience to me, you know, being up there and, Seeing that they really need to be educated about Native Americans. You know, that when I went to DC, I was even asked if we still lived in teepees, and I had to tell them, no, normal houses just like yours. We pay bills just like you. You know, we, we work so we can support our families. We're no different than you. And I even asked some of the Congress people to come down to the reservations and, and visit, come and see what we're all about. And, and, you know, that's just extending a hand to them to come and see, come and visit and get to know us so we can get to know you also. 
because history has really caused a big split among the nations, and it shouldn't have been that way. Because once you find out the truth, the truth is that we can all get along. We can all help each other. were talking about getting back up on your feet as a tribe and other tribes I would love if you could share a little bit more about that vision if the original treaty of Fort Laramie which clearly marked the boundaries of the Lakota nation and acknowledged its sovereignty so if that treaty was actually upheld and the Black Hills and surrounding lands were returned to the hands of the Lakota how do you envision such a transition happening? You know, there was the 1851 treaty lands, and then it went down to the 1868, which diminished our, our land base. And today in the 21st century, uh, you know, we had an effort which went down to the wire when uh, President Obama was going out of office. We... Uh, gave him some documents and we came up with this idea. We had the paperwork put together and everything where President Obama could grant that the sacred sites could be given back to the Native Americans. And that was our last effort to to try to get something done during President Obama's administration. Um, you know, we, we have to be realistic here. If the lands are given back, it's not going to be our original boundaries. Uh, so much has changed since then. Uh, we even had a movement asking for the unused federal lands to be given back to the tribes so we could go to these sacred sites. We could go to the sacred Black Hills and, and pray and do our ceremonies. And there was even uh, Lionel Bordo, chairperson uh, of the, the college in Rosebud, wanting to open a university free to our children so that they could get education that they wanted and, you know, become doctors and lawyers and scientists and whatever, you know, even astronauts or surgeons or whatever. Uh, that was one of the goals. We have meetings in all the reservations here, uh, Pine Ridge, Rosebud, Shine River, Standing Rock. 
we went around to these reservations and we had meetings and we invited the elderly, the treaty council, the youth. We even invited tribal councils. Let's put our heads together and we put paper on the walls and, uh, you know, we divided them in groups. You talk about the land, you talk about the water, the air, education, law enforcement. We had all these topics and they had such good ideas on what they wanted to do, what we could do once we got those lands returned back to us. And we did that throughout the reservations. And, uh, you know, it's sad when you're trying to do something and then your term as as tribal president or whatever runs out and you're not reelected. But our plan, since I wasn't reelected in 2010, we went ahead and continued on the vision that I saw where we were all gonna work together we're going to all come together and work on getting the Black Hills back. But we had to be in unison on how we were going to do that because in 2008, when the Sioux tribes met with President Obama's people, the message he gave us was that, you know, he would consider giving the Black Hills back. But first, he wanted us all to be in agreement to come up with one plan where we were going to all work together and what we were going to do once we got the Black Hills back. And that we tried to work towards, but because of this colonization and because of the jealousy and, and um, distrust, we couldn't get the tribes together, especially the tribal councils and the treaty councils. So we went a step further and we came up with another plan and we asked the communities, the, the people, the youth, the elderly, you know, the teachers, everybody, everybody to come together and let's come up with a plan. We didn't stop. Once idea came and we pushed it as far as we could, we even invited and involved the other tribes. And, you know, the, the Yankton Sioux tribe, they already accepted a, a payment from the Black Hills. And um, my staff wanted to know if we exclude them. So I said, no, they're still part of the 1868 treaty. They still signed it. They're still a part of us. So we included them. You know, we we included them in, in every effort that we put forth to come to getting the Black Hills back. And it, believe me, it, it's it's really a struggle. It's really a struggle working with our own people on getting them to see the vision of how it would be if we got that land back, what we could do with it, because all these years, the timber, the water, the land, you know, the federal government taking all of that away from us, you know, and not giving us one red cent of it, instead of giving it to the county, to the state, to everybody but the rightful owners of the Black Hills. And discouraging but yet it makes you want to work even harder on how can we come up with uh, these ideas and these plans I, and my vision is that it's going to happen one of these days and the reason why I say that is because before we started this effort in 2009 uh, my staff and I we were sitting there in the office and we were talking about this how we're going to go about it uh, you know that the tribal council um, took action in 1980 to support Mario in, in filing those lawsuits and 
they passed a resolution saying that Black Hills were not for sale. And that's where it ended, in 1980, and there was no action in between. The treaty councils met. They came up with resolutions. They sent them to D.C., but never once did we ever hear word back on even acknowledging that they received the correspondence from these treaty councils. So when I took office in 2008, we thought we would revive that again. We re we uh, acted on the Black Hills for Sale resolution. We reaffirmed it, and then we went a step further and we had a news conference. We invited everybody to come, and uh, we made a statement that uh, we were going to come up with some plan on how to work together as a great Sioux nation to get the Black Hills back, to work towards getting the Black Hills back. Then, of course, there's this jealousy and, you know, the men said, we are the ones that signed the treaty. You women have no business. And, you know, it was among ourselves that hurts us. But I told the men that were there, we had Chief Oliver Red Cloud there, uh, Joe American Horse, who is a descendant of Chief American Horse. We had different people there. And, and I told them, I said, you know, we, we as women, we're here to help you. We're here to stand beside you and help you. Uh, a man and a woman working together really brings balance to the efforts that we're trying to do. Because in, in our history, in our tradition, the women are the, the ones that run the household. They're the one that keeps the family together. And the men are the protectors. The men are the warriors. So let's put our minds together and work together. And one of them said, well, if we get to meet with President Obama, you women aren't going to go. And so I told him, I said, I have no intention as the tribal president to meet with President Obama. If you, you need to understand that the president or even Congress won't meet with anybody but your tribal recognized leaders. So me as your tribal chairwoman, I am here to open that door for your treaty people, for, you, for the chiefs to go through that door and meet with President Obama and have that plan. But that's what we need is a plan to show that the great Sioux nation agreed on this plan. And we're going to work together to, once we get the land back, this is what we're going to do. And we have to be realistic. You know, this is the 20th century, it's the 21st now, and we have to be realistic to what we're going to do with it. Once you get it back, what are you going to do with it? That's the first question that's going to be asked. We have to have the right answer. So we tried to get all these people together, hold all these meetings, come up with ideas and efforts. And if one didn't work, then we had a, we have another one that we're working on. That's how this unity concept came about. Is that once we were planning these meetings up in the Black Hills, and the idea came, well, let's have a unity concert. And so um, that came from that. And the first year we had that kind of concert. Several of our elderly women said, in our culture, in our tradition, you have to have it for four years. And everything is in fours in, in our culture and tradition. So this is the last year for the Unity Concert. And I'm really encouraging everybody to come uh, take part in helping us to get the Black Hills returned to us. You know, whether it be letter writing, phone calls, uh, prayers, you know, just we need help. We need help from everybody. We can't just be saying we're going to do it. 
reimbursed that we have to extend to other organizations, other races across the United States, Alaska, and internationally. of the mind, transcribed from the language of generations before, distant echoes brought forth with the force of 10,000 years, all with the common drive, the perpetual need to exist, constant and haunting like fetal memories from the center of the earth, she who has been loved and ravaged who can take everything away if she chooses to but awaits protocol with a heavy heart lunar balance and cosmic splendor our mortal vessels we inevitably send her ashes and dust erosion There's so much that you've said that I would love to dive into more. The the struggles of being a woman in office and dealings of these big government agencies and how brave and courageous you are to have done that. And that's a really important message to share with other women, especially young women, um, that they are valuable and you know, their opinions matter. So if you'd like to say anything about the role of women in this transition, in this envisioning of a future of reciprocity and unity. You know, we uh, when I first ran for uh, vice president of a Sioux tribe, I respect our men, I respect our traditions, I respect our race. So before I even threw my hat in, I went across the reservation. We have nine districts, and, and I talked to the elderly men in those districts, and then I explained to them that, you know, it's time now for us to work together. Uh, we need we need to work together because I'm thinking of my children, my grandchildren, and even the future generations, and we have concerns also on the direction our nation is going. And we're really not going anywhere because we can't work together. And so I would like to work with you side by side 
on how we can change this. How we need to make a big change and what are we doing wrong? What are we not doing? How can we work together to make our nation stronger, to bring a better life for our children? And I talked to each the, the elderly men, and I even talked to Chief Oliver Redcott about it. I went and talked to my Uncle Johnson Holyrock, who I mentioned earlier. And with him, I spent the whole hour with him, and um, he questioned me on my knowledge of, um, you know, our our nation, our culture, our tradition, the Black Hills. He had all kinds of questions, and I tried to answer them as honestly and as best as I could. And I told him, we as women are here to walk beside the men in order to look out for our future generations. And he said, well, I'm going to tell you something, my girl. He said, I don't want to discourage you, but you do know that our nation, we're a male-dominant society, and you might have a hard time. And I said, no, Uncle, I, I think that changed. I said, I understand, but I think it changed with uh, our women getting better education uh, we have women doctors. We have, uh, you know, women that are working, providing for the household. You know, we're not saying we're better than men, but it's come to that where we're thinking about survival. And I said, I understand how to be respectful. I know my role as a woman. And so he gave me his blessings and he said, good luck. The next time I met up with Chief Oliver Edcard, he came into my office and he sat down and he looked at me and looked away, and he said, you know, I went, went across the reservation this weekend, and I talked to different people, he said, and we all feel it's time for a woman to run for this position. And he got up and he walked out. So I put my name in a hat for vice president, and I've been elected as the first woman vice president of the Oahu tribe, and we had a, a ceremony in that regards, and the spirits gave me my Lakota name, with, which was first to stand with a feather. And uh, the meaning behind that is that I was the first woman to be placed in a position that was held solely by the men. And I really carry that name with honor because... Um, like I told the the women at a women's meeting, and I told them, I said, you know, I opened the door. What I wanted to do was open the door for the women, so that they could be in these uh, place leadership roles to be able to voice our concerns, our issues, our solutions. You know, just to work with the men on doing all of that. And so I said, you know, I'm not here to say I'm better than anybody or, you know, I'm going to do a better job. I'm, I'm just here to say that I'm opening the door for the women. And uh, that door opened because the next administration, I think it was two administrations later, the first woman president was elected, Cecilia Firefender. So I know deep in my heart that what I've been doing, my actions, just working little at a time brought the trust from the people to give us women a chance to be in these leadership roles and to show them that we can make changes, we can make life better. And I really am happy that this is the path that Gosh Love put for me to follow.
because there was time I didn't know what I was doing with my life. Uh, you know, there was alcohol abuse, and um, I turned to alcohol when I lost my daughter. She was three years old. She, I couldn't got run over. I turned to alcohol, and I abused alcohol for like four or five months. My mother was raising my other daughter. And that's how I turned to grief, and I think that's common here on the reservation as I turned to alcohol and drugs when they're grieving or there's this hopelessness, uh, there's this fear that, you know, where am I going to go? Where am I going to live? Where, what am I going to eat? Especially when you have children, you know, that that's what was brought among us by the federal government, by the colonization that they put us in this situation. But then my mother never drank alcohol and she just told me one day, you're her mother. You need to get your life together. She's suffering. You're suffering, but you can overcome that grief and realizing that your daughter's in a better place. She's with uh, the creator, and you need to think about this daughter. So that really made me think. And so I got my daughter back. I got a job. I quit drinking, and I've been sober ever since. And like I said, this path that Takasha laid out for me was something I never, ever expected. I never, ever dreamt that, you know, I would be a state senator. I'd be a secretary of the tribe for four terms. I was first woman vice president, I was second woman president. You know, there's just all these accomplishments that I had accomplished was because of my faith in Takashla and because of the people. The people uh, knowing me and trusting me and working with me and, um, you know, it makes me feel good when these younger women come up to me and they want to meet me and shake my hand. And, you know, I really stress education because that's going to help you go a long ways. And that's what my mom expressed to myself and my siblings. You know, you need to get an education. We need to uh, compete with the white world out there and, and we can do it. And I see that with a lot of our people that are, you know, going to college and getting their master's degree and, you know, just making their life better. And it, it was hard. It was really hard. I'm not going to say everything was uh, rosy, a rosy picture while I was in these positions because it wasn't. There were some men that um, didn't like the fact that there's a woman in this position. And so let's try to bring her down. You know, if I said white, they would say black. But it wasn't not all men. I had I had a lot of men supporting me, but it was just a handful. And um, I'm hoping to be today that that handful realizes the changes that I helped make, that the people helped me make, was for our future generations and for our children, not for myself, not for my family, but for the Lakota Nation as a whole. Uh, there was times I went home crying, uh, just hurt, the gossip, the rumors. I think what really helped me was my spirituality, you know, picking up that chinupa and, and praying with it and going to our ceremonies. And as colonized as I was, I went to codependency treatment because my husband was an alcoholic. And that also helped me, the white man's way of um, codependency treatment made me realize that you know, I didn't have to live that way. I didn't have to say yes to everything. I, I had to learn how to say no 
not only to myself, but to my husband, to my children, and even to the people. So there, there, there's some good in, in some of the things that the federal government provided for us that helped me. And um, it's kept me going. Uh, you know, the story, I, I really liked, want you to know the story that in 2009, when we took upon this uh, project on the Black Hills, like I said, we were sitting around our, our ta- my table and we were talking and um, we all agreed, you know, we need to bring spirituality in this. If it's going to work, we need to bring spirituality in it. So we made a special trip. We took uh, food. We took food and tobacco and offerings, and we went to Greengrass with a sacred uh, white buffalo calf pipe. And we offered offered it to Orville Luckin Horace, and we sat down and we talked to him about this project and some of the uh, treaty people, treaty men. There's about four or five of them. I don't know if they were curious or they were really supporting us, but they came. They heard we were going, so they came too. So they had their chinupa, and the tribe didn't have none, so I used my own. And we offered them to him. We smoked it, and we prayed, and then we, we discussed what we were doing and that we needed help from the Creator because this is a movement that was going to help our people as a whole. But on our way to Greengrass, uh, my husband and I was going down the highway, and we were talking and stuff, and then all of a sudden I seen him kind of look up and I didn't pay any attention and look at those clouds, he said. So I looked up and here there was a perfectly shaped eagle with his wings spread out and he was looking towards the west to the black hills. And so I, I looked, I couldn't believe my eyes. I looked, but it was there just plain as day, just clear. That cloud was shaped as an eagle. And it made me feel so good. And I just started crying and I told him, I said, you know, we, we are going to get our black hills back. It may not be right away, instantly, but we're going to get him back. He looked at me and he said, look again. And I looked at it and here in that eagle's claws was a chinupa, a pipe. And that showed me then and told me then and there that through spirituality, we keep it in our mind and our heart that this is going to happen. It's going to happen. And so when I we got to green grass, I, I told Orville about that cloud, and he really looked at me. And he said, you know, it makes me feel good that I know it's not going to be right away, but eventually we are going to get the black hills back. So, you know, I really wished everybody would uh, keep that in their mind, in their heart, and help us, work with us. If not us, you know, if there's other groups out there working for the same thing, you know, help them. Join them and help them and let's get this done. Like I said earlier, the creator put this path in front of me and he's helped me every way. Also the tribal leaders, the elderly, you know, everybody that crossed my path has helped me one way or another to to accomplish things for them. Not me, but for them. And that's what keeps me going is I'm doing this for the people. I'm the servant for the people. That's the path that the Creator chose for me that I'm going to be a servant and that I'm going to be there whenever they need me. My husband passed away from leukemia in 2013, so that's when I left tribal government. 
And I'm here working for the Indian Health Service as their patient advocate and that helping the people again with, with their uh, complaints, their grievances, their concerns, and, you know, building, closing that gap between IHS and the people because there's really distrust with IHS. But then again, that goes back to the lack of funding from the federal government because we have not had 100% of funding to address the needs, the healthcare needs here of our people. So I'm just thankful that this is a life that was chosen for me and that I'm following it at the best as I can, but knowing that I'm having help from everybody. That's my story. It's gotta be a crime Somewhere in your heart you'll find sisters and our brothers We are camping out for each other We are stronger when we band together And we're standing up for the water Don't poison the future away us all If you treat her with disrespect then what message have you left for your children and their home In the river is our sisters and our brothers Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and when you were speaking about the Black Hills and getting the Black Hills back, I kept thinking about the future generations of Native youth who could steward these lands again and all of the struggles that teens are facing, especially teens, you know, growing up entrenched in this intergenerational trauma and this web of injustices. And I know that a lot of times it leaves youth debilitated with despair and some turn to suicide. I know so much so that suicide state of emergencies have been declared in the Oglala Sioux Nation. How do you envision this path out of hopelessness for them? How do you feel the Unity Concert can help uplift the youth and how can other people support them that aren't in that region? Well, I think that the music that's provided at the Unity Concert really sends a message. And, and if you come to the Unity Concert, you're going to see all the youth that are there taking part, you know, and listening to the music, um, even performing. Uh, we try to get our uh, Native American youth up there on the stage. 
uh, it's through music. You know, every, everything is through music. Uh, we had music in, in, in our culture and tradition. And, you know, there was the flute and our songs, the drum, the beat of life is the drum beat. And uh, that's in us. And, you know, when I was president, I was really hard because that's when the suicide started here on the Pioneer Indian Reservation. And um, one of the tribal councilmen, I was coming back from Denver, Colorado for the HHS uh, consultation. And he called me and he was really feeling bad because there was a completion of a young boy. And he said, you know, Teresa, we have to do something. So I said, well, meet me in my office tomorrow and we'll get going. So what we did was we got a hold of... um, you know, everybody, the churches, the tribal council, the, the people, the businesses, the organizations, and we had a, a news conference. And we said, let's get together and let's work on this issue. It's becoming more and more. And throughout time from then, 2009 to today, it's even gone to adults where adults are the ideations and attempts and completions and um, there is hopelessness here on the reservation, you know, um, lack of jobs, lack of infrastructure, you know, there's so many uh, components that lead to this hopelessness. Colonization put us in this, in this position, but we can always get out of it. And that is through the youth, through their education, through their knowledge, uh, that's why it's really important that parents get involved in the upbringing of their children. You know, uh, we talk about alcohol and drug abuse, and uh, children see that in their home, and they think that that's the norm, that that's the way life is. But today we're seeing um, more and more of them looking at the big picture, and we need to continue to talk about the bigger picture to them, that there is an end to hopelessness. But we all have to want it in our hearts and our mind and and want it for ourselves and for our families and for our our nation. And the best way to do that is through education. Get an education, learn what the outside world is learning and be competitive. Just be sincere, be honest with yourself that this is what you want to do. You want to help your people. You want to help make a change. That movement up in North Dakota, if you notice that there's a lot of youth involved, they, they organize, they have these organizations, they're going across the United States talking about the sacredness of, of, of water. And, and it just amazes me at the, the energy. And they have a lot of good energy that they want to put to use to address these issues that have held us down all these years, generation after generation, holding us down. And I think now is the time that they're going to stand up and they are going to make a difference. We need to encourage them. We need to support them. We need to love them. We need to help them. It's a challenge. It's a big challenge when a change needs to be made. To embrace that change and to carry it through and not drop the ball anywhere. Just you know, go around and talk to people and just get people involved and Look at everything positive. Leave the negativity out. How can we do this? What can we do? Who do we get involved? You know, those are the questions that 
they need to ask and they need to have answers for and to, to work on it. Work on it as a whole. Don't be territorial. Just open up for everybody and you'll get results that way. When they know they have a place. They know that they belong. They know that they're going to make the change because I know they want that. I know they want that, that they want to change. They don't want to be going a bit hungry, going home to alcohol and drug abuse in their homes. Uh, they want the education, but they don't have the school clothes. Or the, you know, the, there's so much that our youth are going through. But that also goes back to we as adults, we as parents. We need to change our ways too and, and recognize their needs and, and, and try to help them. So it involves the whole family, the children, you know, the, the community, your relatives. It involves the whole nation that we need to open our eyes and see that we can make a difference, but we have to be in this together. Thank you so much, Teresa. And if there's anything else that you would like to add or anything you'd like to close on, please feel free. But otherwise, thank you so much for sharing stories and so much insight into your life and to the Lakota people. It's been a really um, touching conversation. You know, I was, I was always told to speak from the heart. We had a CMS come here and, and audit us and um, I had to give my report and uh, they said, now just get right to the point. The governing body, just get right to the point, this, this, this. And I said, you know what? In our tradition, it's storytelling. <laughs> we, we, we tell stories and they really looked at me and said, that's just the way we are. That's how we were taught. You tell a story before you get your point out there. In my life, throughout my life, this later life here, that's what I do is I try to explain to them our thinking and our ways. And some of them appreciate it, but some of them are so want to be, you know, right on time and time limit and all of that. And then they, they said, you need to own this project. You need to tell them. This is your project. I said, you know, I'm going to tell you something. In our culture, again, there's no I, there's we. And again, they looked at me, and, and I think I surprised them. I don't know if they ever heard that before, but that's what I was taught. But I just want to thank you for giving me this opportunity. Um, I hope I answered your questions. Um, I, I feel honored that, um, you know, my words will be heard and uh, to be heard by a lot of people. And, and this is food for thought, you know, embrace it and think of how you as a person, you can contribute to this effort and never give up, never give up on your dreams and your vision because they do become reality. But always be grounded and always have spirituality within you and within your actions.
I'm Ayana Young, and thank you for listening to For the Wild podcast. We heard the words of Johnson Holy Rock set to a Lakota memorial song, then Bethany and Rufus with No More, Petroglyphs by Goodshield Aguilar and Minion Gili, and lastly, Rhea Zaragoza with the acoustic version of In the River. All of these musicians will be in the Black Hills next week for the Unity concert. Our theme music is Silence Returns by Bo and Kate Wolf with Like a River. I want to give thanks to our research director, Madison Mogolski, and our producer, March Young. This episode is in collaboration with the Unity Concert, and all donations made for the Wild from now until September 8th will go directly to the Unity Concert, which is in the Black Hills of South Dakota, where thousands of people converge, and it brings together Native American tribes with those on the right side of justice to return the guardianship of the Black Hills to the Great Sioux Nation. So go to forthewild.world to make a contribution and sign up for our newsletter where you can learn about new episodes and other projects and collaborations we'll be working on in the future. Drifting on the wind Through the mountains like a river